Right. I want you to imagine that you're having a beer at a bar on a large boat, a cruise liner or something, and you're going off on your holidays. And all of a sudden, the boat lists dangerously to the left. What do you do in that situation? I think most of us would like to think that we'd get out of there as quickly as possible, that we realised that something was very wrong, took in the situation, got out on deck, got on a lifeboat, saved ourselves. That's what we'd like to think happens. But the reality is very often completely different. The truth is that in those sorts of situations, we freeze. As human beings, we tend to freeze and panic in those situations. We don't do what we think we're going to do. So why then, when we talk about these things and what we might and might not do in these situations in the peace and quiet of our homes, do we actually do something completely different in reality? Well, it's down to a mixture of things. It's partially instinct and partially psychology. Now, instinctively, we have a tendency to freeze. And a lot of animals have that tendency to freeze when they're in danger. Rabbits, for example, freeze because generally their predators are looking for movement. And we do the same thing. And this probably comes from millions and millions of years worth of adaptation in our natural surroundings. You know, when we heard a large predator growl nearby, we would have frozen in the past. And that's because if the predator is actually looking for something to eat, it's looking generally for movement. And if you're not moving, then there's a chance it hasn't seen you or won't see you. And, you know, that basically means that on occasion, potentially, you don't get eaten. Of course, that doesn't work all the time. Quite often, you get eaten anyway. But statistically speaking, presumably over millions of years, freezing's been of benefit to us in dangerous situations. And that's why it's become an instinctive reaction. The other reason we tend to freeze is because when something catastrophic or sudden or large scale happens, we are basically overwhelmed with incoming information. Our brains just can't cope with the amount of information that's being thrown at us. So quite simply, we're overwhelmed. We don't know where to start. We don't know where to finish. We can't make sense of the situation. We have no idea what the next step is. Our brain just basically goes to mush. So these are two things that tend to happen. And then because we're in that situation quite often, if we do do something, we have a tendency to do the wrong thing. Quite often we will follow what everyone else is doing. And that's not necessarily taking us in the right direction. Um, there are so many examples of people rushing in towards the fire in buildings because that's where the majority of people seem to be going rather than just simply following the signs. So why am I telling you all of this? Well, I'm telling you all of this because we live in a world that is full of constant change and we are, as humans, pretty bad at coping with it. Generally speaking, we, we don't like change. And that's mainly because we live our lives as a series of routines. We might not want to admit that we're creatures of habit, but, you know, you can basically break down most people's days into a series of routines. This is one of the reasons why change is so difficult for us when it comes along, because what it tends to do is challenge our everyday routines. 
it's basically disrupting to what we do. And the reason it's disruptive is because most of our routines are instinctive and second nature. They're not things that we're consciously doing. We're unconsciously living our lives most of the time. And there's a good reason for that, because your brain, if you had to live consciously all the time, you'd actually just be completely exhausted. The brain itself only processes about 1% of the information that comes in through the eyes, ears, and nose. And it does that basically because it would be completely overwhelmed if it tried to take in everything that it saw. So the reason why most of our lives are lived unconsciously and the reason why we have routines is because it takes a load off the brain. Basically, getting up in the morning, brushing your teeth, going to the loo, having breakfast, getting dressed, getting on the train to work. If all of these things ha are happening consciously, then you haven't got any space to be thinking about other things. So they tend to happen unconsciously on a daily basis. Those things that happen as routines most, most of the days tend to be unconscious acts. And, and thank God it's like that, because if you're bringing up children, you really want to be able to do as much unconsciously as possible because you need to spend as much time focusing on what your children are getting up to and hoping that they're you know, behaving safely. So that's a little bit about why our brains work the way they do. And it's also a little bit of an explanation as to why we react so badly to change in general. So coming back to the first question, what would you do in that situation with the ship turning? The answer you probably gave earlier was a conscious answer. It was correct. You would get out. That's what you'd expect to do. The reality, as I've explained, is that we very rarely do. And the reason I'm telling you this story is that a lot of research into this subject came from a disaster called the Herald of Free Enterprise. It was a real situation. Uh, now, this was a long time ago, and this was a ship that turned over in the English Channel. It took all of 90 seconds to turn over. So the reality was everyone only had about 90 seconds to do something to save themselves. And most of the insight and most of the research afterwards hinged on a certain gentleman who was from the armed forces who was at the bar having a beer when the ship first tilted. Now, he had been trained, as you are in the armed forces, to overcome these primitive instincts that we have as humans. Um, in the armed forces, if you're being shot at, you have to retrain your instinct to move because you've got to find cover in order to be safe. So this chap, the moment the ship listed and he registered that it wasn't normal, he moved. He got out of the bar, he got on deck, presumably either threw himself into the water or got himself into a lifeboat or a life jacket, and he saved himself. Now, the interesting thing was, a lot of the survivors were interviewed afterwards to try and build up a picture of what had happened. And his description of events was fascinating because one of the things he said happened, the moment the boat listed and he knew he needed to get out, on his way out of the bar, he noticed how everyone had just frozen solid, where they were. They hadn't moved. They didn't move. And this became the basis of a lot of research afterwards because people wanted to know why people did that, especially when their survival depended on them moving. Why do people do something that actually, in effect, is detrimental to their lives? And this is how we learn that we have this instinctive freeze. And it's partially down to just information overload. And it's also partly down to the millions 
of years worth of conditioning that we've had as um, human beings. So why am I telling you all of this about change? Well, and why am I slipping this podcast in um, this month? Well, first of all, it's a chapter in the book. Uh, And secondly, I want to do a podcast for February, which is looking into what's happening in the world today and what's going to come and how we can respond effectively to the massive change which is occurring all around us. Now, you'll be grateful to know that it's got virtually nothing to do with COVID-19 and everything to do with the digital revolution that we're living through. So back to the topic. There's something called a change curve. And if you've ever been taught about change or gone through a seminar on change, you'll have heard of this expression. And it's quite similar in a way to the grieving curve, the steps of grieving that we go through when someone dies. And in a sense, change is a bit like death. It's about you losing something. And it's how you react to that loss. And in the case of change, you know, the first step that we have is denial. The first thing I think that goes through any of our brains is actually, thank God it's not me. You know, when something changes and you look around and the first thing you probably ask is, how's that going to affect me? And once you've established it's not going to affect you, you think, thank God, it doesn't affect me, and you move on. But if that change does affect you, one of the first things you do is deny it's going to change you. You just don't accept it. You basically refuse to accept that it's going to change you. And, and a lot of people just actively resist change. I mean, the process of denial itself is a form of resistance. And that process of denial and resistance can go on for a long time. In fact, I think it probably goes on as long as it takes for you to understand the situation and understand how fully it's going to affect you. I've seen it take 12 months with certain people where they've been exposed to change. They've been receiving support on a daily basis for 12 months. And then eventually it finally clicks and they get it and they start to engage with it. But initially, we almost universally deny the change. And then, you know, once we realize that it's actually going to affect us and we can't get out of it, then we're in a bit of a state of shock. Shock, basically, because we didn't expect the change and shock because, you know, any unsuspected change means that by definition, you're probably unprepared for it. So it is all a bit shocking, that realization, that moment when you realize I'm going to have to change. Probably even more shocking when you realize that you have no idea what to do next. And you very quickly start to become quite fearful of what's coming or the effect that that change is going to have on you. If you don't know what the next steps are or you don't know how to respond, you actually just become more fearful. So actually, knowing or having those first steps to overcome the change and to move into new space is helpful. It's stopping you feel so fearful. But the reality is we don't know. We've resisted it. We've denied it. We're in a state of shock. We don't know what the first steps are, so we are in a fearful state. And basically, we tend to look around for people to blame at this stage, and we we generally don't get very far with that approach. It just isn't very useful, especially if everyone around you is in the same boat as you. So in the end, end, we start to get angry and frustrated because we know the change has occurred, we know it's affecting us, and we know we still have to do something about it. And we get angry because we realize that nothing we've done so far has really affected anything. 
Um, we're in the process of realizing we're going to have to change. Sometimes we're angry with ourselves because we've resisted it. Sometimes we're angry with ourselves because of things we've said to other people. Sometimes we're just plain angry with other people for putting us in this situation in the first place. And you know, that sense of frustration starts to build because we know we've wasted a lot of time and energy and emotion so far in this process. And as I said, you know, you could still be six months into this and you realize you've wasted six months of your life getting angry, blaming other people and not doing anything. And none of that is particularly helpful, but it is a natural kind of reaction that we have. Anyway, gradually, this whole sense of hopelessness, frustration, anger, fear, it starts to push us into trying to solve the problem because, you know, we can't remain in that state permanently. It's just too damaging to our health, both psychologically and physically. So our brain starts to look around for answers. We've got to find a solution to this problem. And sometimes, you know, we're not the ones that are capable of finding the answers. Sometimes we re rely on our friends or people around us or other sources of information to guide us in these situations. And out of that, we become a little bit more creative. We get ideas and we try to apply them. Or we think that maybe what's worked for our friends of ours, you know, in the same situation as something they've tried, we'll try and we'll adapt it slowly and see if it works for us. And gradually we start to realize, you know, that there's maybe a route out of this conundrum that we have. If you've ever come across the expression, how do you eat an elephant in bite-sized chunks is the answer. That's a phrase that's often used in this sort of situation. It's, it's very difficult for our brain to get itself around the entirety of some of these large-scale problems. But it is much easier if we try to break that problem down into bite-sized chunks. So we know that we can see that there's a large elephant in the room. Now, we don't really fully comprehend the size of that elephant, but we do know that there are bits and chunks of it that we can bite off and deal with a bit at a time. So as you step forward in this process of creativity, you start to find some first steps. And that starts to get you moving, effectively unfreezing you. You're no longer frozen. You're capable of making decisions, capable of moving forward and very very quickly, the moment you start to do that, you find the frustration, the anger, the fear, the denial, the shock, it all starts to dissipate. And what you find replacing all those emotions is acceptance. You start to accept the situation for what it is. And you start to accept that the change is real, that it's going to affect you and that you need to do something about it. And you accept that there will be actions that you need to take going forward in order to mitigate that change. And as you start to undertake some of those key act actions and activities that you've either copied or thought about or invented for yourself, you start to gain a sense of hope that actually you can manage this and there is a way out of this. There are new behaviors that you can adopt which will allow you to coexist with this change in your situation. And you start to realize that it's maybe not as frightening as you first thought and it's not as bad as you first thought. And in some cases, what tends to happen is you get a renewed sense of enthusiasm because you're being successful. You're starting to take steps forward and you're no longer feeling the fear and anger that you had before. So you know you're hopeful, enthusiastic, and through that process and by doing more, you tend to commit to the change. And Before you know it, you're in a new space behaving differently. And it's as if nothing ever changed, really, and you have, in effect, moved from one paradigm to another 
successfully. Now, the question is really, how long has it taken you to go through all of those steps? And the worst part of it is that we're pretty hopeless at doing it. I remember back in 2007 when we had this enormous global, enormous global financial crisis, unprecedented since the Great Depression, and everything I had um, at the time, I had a really successful business, and I, I had people working for me, and you know, we developed a pretty unique offering in the marketplace, and it was highly specialist and well sought after, and. You know, I'd spent 10 years of my life building that company. Anyway, along comes a financial shock and everything stopped. I thought in that kind of level of change, there would be more demand for my business. But I was wrong. And to cut a long story short, my business collapsed. Now, I, I took four years trying to get my head around what had happened, trying to get to, trying to get through the denial to start with. I mean, you know, I couldn't believe that no one would want help in that situation. I think that took me two years. I spent thousands of pounds on marketing, going around trying to get business and talking to people because in my head, I just could not conceive that people didn't need help. I was in a complete state of denial. And then when that wasn't working, I got really angry and fearful because, you know, I'm still paying wages and salaries and trying to generate business and nothing was happening. And, you know, I got thoroughly disillusioned by the whole thing. It took a long time. I think it took probably four years for me to accept that it was over. But it was never going to be the same again. And I was never going to have the same business again. And I'd lost everything I'd built in 10 years. And I had to grieve for that loss and the loss of my team that I loved dearly. And I really, you know, the team was the most part of the valuable part of the business. And eventually, after about five years, I had to reinvent the business and reinvent myself. And I had to do something completely different. So it took maybe four to five years for me to get through that change cycle. That was extremely distressing for me. So, yeah, roll the calendar forward a few years and we hit Brexit. And once again, you know, the same thing happens. So my clients can't make any decisions. They're not making investment decisions. I have a new business, but I have no business because, again, we're in a state of massive change and upheaval. So this time, happily, it probably took me about a year to realize what had happened and to change again. So I reinvented, repositioned my business and moved forward again. And then, you know, last year in 2020, we had COVID-19, which completely paralyzed the entire global economy again. Only this time, it probably took me about a month to work out that I needed to move. And I started moving almost straight away into the new space and adopting a new business model, new behaviors to accommodate the change. And thank God I did because, you know, a lot of people I know are still paralyzed. And what they thought was only going to last a few months, you know, is now approaching a year and the powers that be are talking about it taking another year to potentially sort this out. So, you know, the trick here is with change is to get to acceptance as quickly as possible. We have to accept change on face value and go with it and try and find the next steps. We need to give up our old behaviors, our old ways of thinking. and We need to try and find new ways of doing things as quickly as possible. Now, this is interesting because if you think about it, this is why children are better at dealing with change than adults. 
adults have this whole history behind them. So, you know, I've accumulated all this information throughout my life, all this data. And so when things change, the first thing we do is go back to all that data and knowledge and start analysing and see whether it gives us any idea of what to do going forward. And that alone takes a long time. And it's by no means certain. So, you know, with children, what they, you know, they're, they're forward-looking. They don't have all this baggage. They don't have all this data. They're just looking at the situation and reacting to the situation. They're much more imaginative. Their minds are much more malleable. They don't have all these routines and habits and things to overcome. They're able to just quite simply move into that new space relatively easily and quickly. The reality is life is malleable. It's very fluid and very changing. And nine times out of 10, just the very act of moving forward on faith generates so much more new information for us. It allows you to progress and move into that new changing situation so easily that really you have to ask yourself, why wouldn't you do it? So this brings me onto back onto the subject of this military guy in the boat, because I mentioned that the military specifically train you to do certain things in moments of immense pressure and stress. And the moments of immense pressure and stress that the army is training you to do is to allow you to behave correctly in the correct manner when the time comes. The moment you engage the enemy, because the moment the bombs go off and the grenades go off and the bullets start whizzing and people are trying to kill each other, it's unimaginably stressful. And that is the moment that all new soldiers just freeze, panic, don't know what to do. And really, as a fighting unit, you just cannot have that situation. You know that your training needs to kick in, that you need to behave in the correct manner when that happens. So they train and train and train you over and over and over again to behave in a certain way when that situation arises. Now, a friend of mine who used to be in the paratroopers he taught me this thing. He was taught, uh, and it goes a bit like this. When it all kicks off, he said, he was taught to stay low, move fast, and keep moving forward. And that was his mantra. That's what was drummed into him. And that is what he and his men would do. So the moment the fighting started, they all ducked, started running, and started to move forward. And, you know, I, I think that's just a tremendous piece of good advice in an extreme change situation. You know, you've got to stay low, move fast, and you've got to keep moving forward. And it's that philosophy that saved that gentleman on the Herald of Free Enterprise, you know. He moved and he got out because that's what he was trained to do. And that's a lesson for us in change. We cannot afford to be paralyzed by the situation. We can't afford to take the time to go through all these various stages of change. We need to accept that the situation has changed and we need to move forward. We need to find a first step forward into the world that we're moving into. It's going to become more and more important that we train ourselves to react in this way when change presents itself to us. So I hope that this has helped and I hope it was interesting and explained a little bit about why we as humans behave the way we do in situations of change. And I hope it gives you some insight into ways in which you can think about change in a different way and perhaps become a bit more successful in adapting to change as we go forward.
And as I said, in the next podcast, I'm going to talk about what is coming towards us and why we need to master this skill of change in order to be successful in the future. As usual, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and I really look forward to talking to you again soon. Drop me an email, iamshockinin at gmail.com, if you have any ideas on subjects you want to talk about. And um, that's all for now. Talk to you soon. Bye.